Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Socially Distanced Podcast. My name is Al Manorino. I'm the managing editor of thepopweek.com. With me, as always, possibly dreaming, who knows, is Mr. Bill Bodkin, the editor-in-chief of thepopweek.com. Bill, what's up? How's your sleep been? Uh, we're going to be talking some Sandman. As if, if I, I, I can't do any more references to sleep and dreams. Uh, I'm, I'm shot at this point. I need to go to sleep and dream. But how are you, sir? Oh, you know me, just living on Fiddler's Green, just enjoying the blades of grass and the butterflies through my hair. I just finished the series 20 minutes before the podcast started, so everything's real fresh as a daisy in my head. Yes, this is episode 120 of the Socially Distanced Podcast, and uh, just a programming note before we start, August and early September is packed. Next week, we are talking about She-Hulk, we have House of the Dragon, we've got NFL kickoff. We've got See Here Now, Lord of the Rings, so much going on. Then Al's having another kid. It's going to be a wild, wild fall. But speaking of wild, we have a return to this podcast. Some would say she's the motherfucking dream vortex. You haven't seen her since she was all spiced up walking through House of Trades. Ladies and gentlemen, the social. Uh, media editor of thepopbreak.com, Alicia Weinberger is back. Hello, it's I, childless millennial of the endless, Alicia Weinberger. I haven't slept. I haven't had more than eight hours of sleep in the last 48 hours. It's great. <laughs> I always forget that you introduce yourself as the childless millennial of Pop Break, which is always great. Um and we have um, we have a very special guest joining us this week. We're actually going to be d- having debuts uh, all throughout the next few weeks of podcasting. Uh, this person is not an aff- affiliated member of thepopbreak.com. In fact, he's one of my oldest friends. So he, I owe him my life because God, he has put up with so much of my shit. Um, I wouldn't say he's. Um, well, actually, you know what? He, I was going to say he's not the Corinthian because he's not. He's not. A, his eyes aren't made of teeth. He actually, I would say he's a Raven because he is the biggest Baltimore Raven fan I know because he's the only Baltimore Raven fan I know. Ed Chang, welcome to this hot mess of a podcast. Thanks, Bill. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm currently also watching the Ravens digitally play the Titans preseason. So. You are already in mid in podcast veteran form. Oh, yeah. We have all watched football on this podcast. Al has literally sold comic books while hosting the podcast. So oh, yeah. yeah, we like to multitask. <laughs> we don't know how to talk. We love to multitask on social distance. And as Al so eloquently said, we are talking about uh, Netflix's brand new series, The Sandman and Al. I turn the ruby over to you, my friend. Take us away. Yeah, so we are talking all things Sandman or The Sandman or Morpheus or Dream or whatever you want to call him. Um, So excited to talk about this. This is a show that's been kind of uh, needing or wanting an adaptation for like 30 plus years of this, 35 years, I think, at this point. And uh, yeah, one of the most critically acclaimed uh, graphic novels or comic series of all time. finally getting an adaptation and so i guess kind of first question for the gang is something that we always do when we're talking comic book adaptations is is this your first kind of 
impression of the Sandman? Have you read the original comic run? I'll start with one of our actual comic experts slash lovers slash hoarders is Alicia. Alicia, did you read Sandman? Oh, hell yeah, I did, man. I read, <laughs> I was a big Vertigo kid growing up. And matter of fact, when I was in middle school, high school, I was the only student that our school library knew read comic books. So she handed me a catalog and said, pick shit for the library. And one of the first things was like volume one of Sandman. Preludes and Nocturnes. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'll just go real quick. I had been recommended this forever. It was one of those comics that like people kept telling me to read. And I, I believe I started and then never finished. So this is something now I regret. And now it's something I want to go back to and, and read. And I feel like that does happen sometimes with the adaptations anyway. So I'm really excited to kind of dive back in. I remember reading that first trade though, especially getting to, you know, something we'll talk about with the diner. I'm like, Ooh, this book is fucked up. <laughs> uh, uh, Ed, what about you? Yeah, I, I did. I, I caught on to it a little bit later, but I did read the original series. I also started to pick up when they rebooted it a couple of years ago. Uh, yep. Um, but I, I never got through the whole, like the whole series. I, I, I think I picked up the first two trade paperbacks, but it's also interesting that you bring up this particular iteration. Cause I, I was just thinking like Gaiman's had a couple of runs with adaptations and, yeah. uh, you have, uh, I, I think it's interesting to think about this one coming maybe at the best time after Gaiman's had a couple of tries adapting his book. Um, I don't know. Something yeah. to think about. No, that is some uh, great thing. I mean, um, I think he had so much success with being a part of Good Omens, right? Yeah. Uh, and helping get getting that adapted, uh, adapted. And yeah, I think this was just the perfect time, as you said. Like, you know, it's great that he didn't like lead with this one because I mean, again, this this has been in development hell forever. Another comic book property that uh, so beloved that people have wanted to see forever in some form. At one point we almost got a movie or movie trilogy with yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as uh, both writer or both director and star, which would have been <laughs> insane. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So Bill, what about you? Were you, uh, I know you were a comic collector at a point, this is probably right around the time you were kind of collecting too. No. Oh, well, okay. So what year did it come out again? Just remind it's like It was like late 80s, correct, okay. guys? So this would have been deemed probably a little too old for me at the time. It would have been a trade, though. It would yeah. have been in trade format at this point. Yeah, probably I probably had pointed it out. My dad's like, mm, I don't know about that one. Maybe yeah. you're older. <laughs> but I had first heard about it through wrestling because there was this wrestler in ECW named Raven who used to always wear a Sandman, always wore Sandman shirts. And then a wrestler named the Sandman wore it too later on so it was like i always saw it and i was always like well that's really interesting and i read up on like what it was and just looked it up online one day and then you know it just became the stuff of legend i think i want to say johnny depp might have been attached to it at one point um and then it was it was always deemed the unadaptable this was the unfilmable source material and ed like you said like it is better that we got through Good Omens and American Gods. And I don't, and I know he did some writing on Doctor Who, but I don't know what other his adaptations were at this time. But I remember it was just, it's, I think it was better they got that. We got that out of our system first 
before we got into the big one. So I was trying to, sorry, I, I did want to hear more of that, but at the same time, I was trying to look up the development hell of this because you mentioned depth and stuff. Um, do you think, I, I guess my question is, you know, kind of, you know, in the vein of like Hellboy and stuff is like, do you think if this was a second go around, you know, or even do you think if Gordon Levitt had tried and failed or Depp had tried and failed, do you think we would have gotten this version with Gaiman so like heavily involved? I'll start with, uh, I'll go reverse. I'll start with Bill. No, no, I don't think so because I think it's so ambitious and, and so expensive to really execute this vision for it to have say <clears throat> flopped or been the inverse Hellboy, where they're like, hey, let's make it with David Harbour. And then it takes. <laughs> and then like, oh, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We had the wrong guy all the time. No, I would, I don't think they would have invested as much because there's so much production value that went into this. This wasn't a star-studded cast, but this was like uh we complain, you know, we complain about Marvel and their Disney uh, you know effects. This uh you can't really complain too much about the effects here because the amount of production that went into this was absolutely mind-boggling and i would hate to see the production budget for this because and i don't think they would have uh sunk that much money into it if we would have gotten a failed either first film or just like a mediocre trilogy i don't think we would have gotten that what about you ed yeah fair i mean i i also think that you know uh it's interesting that you bring up hellboy in the sense that it's it's coming in a tradition it's coming after not just the second or third game in project but also um other comic book adaptations like watching it and maybe we'll get into this later but watching it a lot of it mm, i felt draw drew from things like umbrella academy preacher series like that that are uh probably closer to the the original graphic novel kind of feel and and adaptation style that that kind of led us here in addition to all the the game and stuff like there are pieces that that look very american godsy as well but um you know all of it together i think made it a good time for this to kind of come to fruition talk about development hell with american gods too literally in the development of the show in the middle in the midst of seasons uh alicia what about you do you think if we had gotten a Sandman in the eighties, nineties, two thousands. Do you think, uh, and it flopped. Do you think we would have gotten this version? I don't know. I mean, you've read the comics, right? So bit, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's such an expansive series. Like even my collections, like so disjointed that it kind of borders this strange, like anthology, like narrative. So I mean, if it came out in the eighties and nineties, pre-internet, probably not because people would, one, I don't think there was a lot of fantasy in general going on in Hollywood. And even now, like, I feel like fantasy is more relegated to, like, young adult, which, like, hey, not knocking it. Like, I love, like, shit like Shadow and Bone and whatever. But I feel like it's a little too, like, kind of out there for people to wrap their mind around. Like, oh, it's modern day, but it's also not. But also it's, like, sword and sorcery shit. But the guy looks like the singer from The Cure. <laughs> yep. Or it looks Um, like Neil Gaiman. (laughs) Right. I would say, like, if it came out, like, in the time of the pre-MCU movies, like, Daredevil, Ben Affleck, Daredevil era, maybe. 
But 90s, no. I, I think this would have been a little too strange for people to want to invest money in, like Bill said. Yeah, I think if we got a, like, two, like, remember Constantine? Like, I think yeah. if we would have got, like, it, oh, it's... They had, a, they had a TV series of that, too. I reviewed yeah. every episode for Pop. I, interv- I, I interviewed I yeah. interviewed the dude at Comic-Con. I love that TV series. It's great. I was yeah. so awesome. No, I'm just saying, like, that's basically what if it may if it had it was made in the 2000s, the Hellboy, the Daredevils, all that, Constantine, we would have got a very shittily made kind of movie, potentially. And then it would have Constantine movie, though. I've heard okay things about it, but I'm just saying, like, that kind of realm, <laughs> it would have been 20 years later until we got like a better adaptation. Um, before we jump into the actual series proper, I do want to talk about this because I don't know how Bill feels or anyone else, but few episodes in, especially maybe even within the first episode, I felt that they were kind of going for a Doctor Who vibe. It felt Doctor Who a lot throughout the series. And mm. I loved it because <laughs> I love Doctor Who. But I, I just want to know, did you guys feel like watching the actual show knowing the comics, knowing how kind of beloved they are and everything like that. Did you feel like what kind of influences did you see from the actual television version of it? If any. Well, I'll, I'll jump it off of like where I, I felt like at times, like when we go to episode, uh, the tw- uh, episode entitled 24 seven, which I believe is episode five really digs from the color palette and the whole vibe of the American God star series star yeah. series. And to the point of its uh, gratuity as well, where I'm just like, oh, okay, this is where we're going to go with this. And uh, when it got way more British, it post that where it just felt like, oh, this is obviously a BBC production with like just the lighting and the effects and the, the cast of characters that we had. And I'm like, oh, this, it, I don't know if it ever felt like it sort of kind of felt a little Doctor Who-ish, I guess, because Neil Gaiman did write on Doctor Who. And you can check a Neil Gaiman interview out on the popbreak.com uh, about Doctor Who um, well before your time now. I was going to say. Yeah, it was like right before you started. Um, I had to think about that for a second. And I think it came more of, I, I just more of, a, I guess, the, more of that, I guess the classic sci-fi, it felt more classic sci-fi than it did like something dark and neo-noir and fucked up like it did in the beginning. I, I feel like, I feel like you saw there was two shows. It felt like it was like, here's this neo-noir that leans into that. You could definitely feel the, the heavy inks from like the eighties and like the Alan Moore style of stuff. And then it became the BBC and the BBC production in the second half. That's how I came with it. Yeah. I mean, Bill, what, what, which doctor did he write for? Uh, he wrote for Matt Smith. Yeah. Okay. He wrote. He like, wrote the what's it called the uh, the the doctor's wife, right? He might have. He was definitely involved with uh, the doctor. The doctor's wife. The I think is that the name. It's the it's the TARDIS. The TARDIS when the TARDIS becomes yes a living talking thing. That's that's a game and episode. It's, it's, a great Jenna, one. it's the Jenna Coleman Matt Smith era. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, yeah, it does, and visually. You get a lot of that too with the when it when it does kind of get a little bit more colorful. But at the same time, I was I was wondering if he was writing for like Tenet, maybe. But the two characters are essentially very similar. 
know, it's it's like, 2013 is when we did the interview. Okay. It was around then, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, but like, yeah, I, the two characters are essentially very similar. Uh, you know, Doctor Who is a, a kind of immortal character trying to figure out the concepts of morality, you know, human morality and, and how they work. And, and um, it's, it's also very similar with, you know, Morpheus and, you know, Dream or whatever we want to refer to him as. A lot of the series behind all the action is essentially him you know, trying to understand and succeeding to the viewer's benefit, you know, understanding what it means to be human. And I think that's a, that's a very Gaiman-esque characteristic, you know. Alicia, anything to add in terms of like what you've, did you feel that they were adapt, you know, kind of picking and choosing things in, in terms of inspiration for how to like adapt this to make it a television show? I have never watched Doctor Who, so everything you guys just said made no sense. Oh, I know you were speaking English, but I, I have feel no like idea. you actually would like to. You would, especially the way that you like to kind of just relax, you would love <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> I don't know. How you like to get into a higher state of consciousness. Uh, yeah. 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 Catch up on some sleep. Uh, yep. You know, it's funny because like, um, I didn't, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I didn't even clock that it had the, that kind of like BBC uh, production value because I mean, the most BBC I watch is Killing Eve for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> <It's a good laughs> <show. laughs> but um, the one, the one thing I brought that, kind of came to mind when I watched it. You guys were watching like an anime series called Paranoia Agent that was on Adult yeah. Swim in like the early 2000s. Ed, so, Ed is the anime head. He right. Watch that. So I don't know if, if, if you registered it, Ed, like especially when they get to the episode with the collectors, it reminded me of that episode of Paranoia Agent with the three like group suicide people. Sorry, that's a really dark thing to bring up. But it's kind of like it's a really interesting narrative take they did on the show where it's once again, it's like, it's an anthology, but it's kind of not, you know, he, there are obviously, there is like, obviously like a linear story that's going on, but I feel like you can also kind of just pick up any episode in this show and still have a good time with it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a great segue. Let's talk about some episodes. <laughs> I was like, so, yeah, so, uh, by the way, 10 episodes, Kind of perfect amount. I'll just throw that right out the gate. I actually really like the 10 episode structure because you kind of can cut the filler out, especially with the show that is very kind of anthology-esque. Um, give your best, you know, your best 10. I think that's good. I think eight, we would have been kind of like wanting more. 10's kind of perfect. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's not really a question. That was more of a straight up statement. I felt very nice not having to binge it in one day or one night or whatever and just kind of take my time 10 episodes perfect anyone think more or less what are we going here that was the first thing i saw when i was looking through the menu i was like 10 episodes fuck yeah like i don't <laughs> i don't come on guys i'm like lfg I, I haven't even watched the new stranger things yet i just i can't like it's uh, it's 12 episodes too many one too many sorry well, well it's really good we're coming from the opposite end now because we're we've done all these disney plus shows and everything's yeah, like six, six, six. Mm. and we're we our last our last re- series review was Miss Marvel, and we're like, Christ, we could have sat another two or three two episodes with that easily. Yeah, and now we're seeing Disney Plus is on the back end, just announced She Hulk is nine, and or is like 
50 episodes or something like that. Uh, I think Daredevil is definitely not 50 episodes. Daredevil, Daredevil is the least like is like 400 episodes. They're going to do like 16 an episode, <laughs> an every day for like stop, a, a year stop the fake numbers. It's, it's just, uh, fucking math. I don't get it, but it's just like never my strong point. But as well, let my wife do the math. Um, much smarter than me. But I really think we just came from six episodes, we get to 10, and it was really perfect. And the way they structured it shouldn't have worked because, like I said, we had like one, we had one story arc, like one middle episode, and then we had the next story arc. And I'm like, well, this shouldn't work. And But like Alicia said, like if you wanted to watch the last four episodes or, yeah, the last four episodes, episodes uh, seven through 10, you could have easily picked up on context clues to figure out what was going on. And you would have probably been satisfied with that as a series because it was really good as that little arc right there. Yeah. And I, I like the way, and I actually, one of my favorite episodes is that <laughs> middle episode between the two where he's with death. I think that's one of, probably one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I think uh, everyone would agree as it is the <laughs> only episode on IMDb that has over a nine and it has a 9.3. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the best episodes of the of the season also probably one of those heartbreaking scenes of a show i've watched in a long goddamn time uh man wow let's again let's get right into the actual uh actual season actual episode so it's kind of weird talking about the show it's not like oh man let's talk about you know his arc or you know mm-hmm. throughout this is very anthology based so i kind of want to just start at the beginning like what did you guys think of that as like an introductory not for comic readers but for you know netflix audiences do you think that that episode one um where we don't see a lot of uh morpheus we don't see a lot of him doing things he's kind of just chilling naked in a ball um do you think that was a good way to kind of introduce to the series or or just in general what did you guys feel about i'll start with alicia I think like, well, first off, that intro, the, the whole like narrative intro when you see like the, the fucking raven and it transitions into the ocean, but then it's the sky and then it's like the dreaming. Sick. I think that was probably fucking cool. Even though that was like probably what, five seconds long. I have never seen like that is the best like from page to screen artwork translation I've ever seen done before. So I wish we seen more of that. I will say, I think like it will be hard for people who maybe aren't into like horror fantasy or dark fantasy to get into the first episode because it does seem more like it's a it's a period piece. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's like Downton Abbey with magic," and then like, oh, fucking... which to me, I'm just like, "Hello, how are you?" <laughs> Maggie Smith rolls up and <laughs> oh, that was a good time. No, I, I was actually pretty disappointed as trying to remember the comics and like going into it such a heavy heavy narrative arc i i i I was waiting for it to kind of like skip around and jump around and i was waiting for those little vignettes um a little bit more but now that you kind of bring it up yeah we don't we don't see morpheus very much in the first few episodes and i don't think you're supposed to i think i think they did a really good job of adapting it in that way where uh, they they set the expectations for us. Like Morpheus is the main character, but he's not the center of our attention per se. And I think that they did a good job setting that up throughout the throughout the series. 
I think that's why I got the Doctor Who, like it hit me so much is because it has that kind of structure where you can jump into any episode and get a complete story. There may be some lingering things happening in the episode that would, you know, help push the the season long narrative across. But like, honestly, Sleep of the Just, the first episode feels a little bit like Blink from Doctor Who, where the Doctor's not even in it, but you're learning a lot about time travel and dreams and shit. So it's like, that's very like, that's why I think I I was getting a lot of uh, Doctor Who feelings throughout. But uh, yeah, Bill, um, I was talking about, do you think the first episode um, was a good way to introduce like new audiences, maybe not fans of the comic uh, or, or aware of that? The comic. Do you think it was a good way to kind of introduce this world, this character of, of Morpheus, uh, you know, to the general public? Yeah, I mean, I only knew Sandman from a T-shirt, so uh, yeah, it was really good because yeah. me, it was like it was like I saw a tra- I saw a T-shirt, I sold the books, I had heard about the, the this was like this unfilmable thing, and then it's like okay, I saw the trailer. Now sell me if this was going to be a show I want to watch. And it better be because I got to watch not 10 episodes of this and do a podcast on it. Like, so it's, I think it really did. And, you know, you never go wrong by putting Charles Dance in something. Worked in Game of Thrones, worked in The Golden Child. Uh, So it, yeah. Yes. I love that you made that reference because I'm sorry. As soon as he came on, I was just like, wow, this guy has such a, like a hard on for like, like just being an angry, bitter Englishman and stealing magical people. Like, yeah, and, and essentially in Godzilla, he does this exclusively. <laughs> what a typecast! Yeah. Ah, it's the best cast, and it, it, so when you get that and how it's like, and then when he says he's captured by this amateur, and then how that all ties into essentially that that whole arc, which again we'll mention Doctor Who again real quick, is like that whole like usually they have in the first episode, here's going to be the big bad. And we're probably not going to reference this story. Like we'll drop it in every once in a while, but we're not fully going to resolve it or address it till the final two episodes. And that's kind of what we did here. And, but I like that we were seeing the, why the world needed Morpheus, which is still really weird to say, because he's not Lawrence Fishburne. And, um, and it was, you had to realize how important he was, why he was captured and why this mattered. So him just sitting there and it made it all just so weird. And when he broadly broke out, then you're like, Oh, this is going to go all sorts of sideways. And I thought it was a really great introduction to this. Basically the show is saying, hey guys, we're going to get weird. So if you can't, and that this was probably one of the least weirder episodes too. So I'm just going to say like, if you can't vibe with this weird Wait, you're never going to make it to episode five. <laughs> so, like, yeah, you're. I think it's the perfect way to introduce it. Alicia, did I get you? Yes, but I, I think they should have gone weirder. I think weirder. they should have made Charles dance dance's head explode, like in the comics. Yeah. <laughs> just. Yeah. I honestly, I'm not against it. You know, yeah. he plays it. He always just plays a giant dick. He's got an interesting melon on his shoulders i'm just saying i'm not making fun of him he's no just got a, he's saying, got a distinct head and i would love to see it explode in a fictional setting that's what i thought you were going to say he has an exquisite head for explosion it, yeah well what part would have it exploded at 
Well, in the, so in the comics, all right, I'm going to... Yeah, I need to... Oh, yeah. So in While the comics, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty accurate. They obviously change a lot of things to cut the fat and just keep the story going because it's, it's a show and shows are different mediums from comics and you can do one and not the other but so i'm not going to be like a stickler i'm like hey they didn't do it like this but um in the comics it's actually ethel cripps and his butler runoff with all Uh. the sandman shit and then there's a scene where ethel cripps then steals the amulet of protection from the butler and then Roderick Burgess is like, oh, I found you like psychically and like fucking pulls a whole scanners on his butler and makes his head explode. And I was like, oh, I thought Morpheus was going to get out at some point and make Charles Dance's head explode because that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been wouldn't awesome. Have, wouldn't have been against it. Um, but yeah, so that was our introduction in in, in a nutshell. We, we see uh, <laughs> just a giant naked Morpheus in a ball just giving people the silent treatment, hoping for the best. I love a skinny, um, gothy man. Very yeah. skinny. Young man. By the way, let's let's just get right into this, dude. Uh, I'm trying to get the, the actor's name again. It was Tom Stur- Sturgeon? Tom Sturridge. Tom Sturridge. I mean, can we say perfectly cast? I mean, like, nailed it? I think they nailed it. I don't know who I would have liked better in this role. Yeah. Um, kind of perfect. Uh, Alicia, did you have someone in mind beforehand? I had no, I have no experience with this actor, I will say, which I think helped a lot. Yeah. Because right? I have no, like, notions in, going in. He's been in stuff, but he's never been the guy. Yeah. He's right. not a leading man. He's not, he's not, not a, he's not one of the seven Chris's that dominate Hollywood or, right now. He's not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Right. Yeah. I think, though, if we, if I had to choose an alternate actor... I think Lee Pace would have been sick. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. See, it, but like yes. he'd have to get real. Yeah, you could have done it. Now he's yeah. Lee Pace is really in that dad mode right now. That's, that's just, awesome. I was just enjoying the the early Johnny Lee Miller vibes I was getting. You know, like oh Johnny Lee yeah. Miller. You know? oh. um, I don't think he would have pulled it off as well. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so either. I also don't think that. Um, I mean, maybe they made him tall and skinny, but I don't think Johnny Lee Miller could pull off tall and skinny like, like this particular actor did. I had a little bit of a problem at first adjusting to, hello, <laughs> welcome to the dreaming dreamer dream dream. Well, he wouldn't like yell. He's no, so I understand. I understand, but the voice—it's not a voice that fits the face. No, I will say he's got well, a very like. Have you heard? Have you seen the things about the interview? So oh, it's like, we'll oh, move, how you doing? We'll, we'll move <laughs> on. We go back to the food night impersonations again. <laughs> we don't want to offend the world. Um, That's true. It was pretty. Yeah, uh, I think it was. Either, I think he said in interviews that he, or Gaiman said in interviews that he was almost doing like a Batman voice. That came and was like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> No, that it's not who this is. He's not. He's not Batman, right? Um, which I think is pretty great. I think he kind of nailed it. Like he nailed the, yeah, the essence and just dickheadishness that this character is. It's kind of just a dick. Um, I would have hated. I think as much as I like like Joseph Gordon Levitt and other things. Oh uh, yeah, no. I would have hated nah. him. And he didn't have the hair for it. I don't even care about the. Hair. Well, he would have just looked like he was trying to be a sad boy. 
That's what he, he would have looked like that. He would have looked like he was trying so hard. And I don't know. He played, a, he played Guido pretty well. Um, yeah, in a movie people oh, really liked. Uh, but I actually kind of like that movie. I love Don Chadwick. That's a great movie. <laughs> well, okay, let me rephrase that. The That's a great movie. Saw in the theaters. So it's just like. Also 50-50, very underrated. Um, 50-50 is very good. Uh, but I just don't think he has the that kind of channeling Robert Smith vibe that I think that I think that that Tom Sturge has. And I think the fact like Alicia, like you said, the fact we don't know who he is makes him really helps character. And it's not like, Oh, this is this famous dude who's playing this part. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm just going to say this, like, and I think, listen, everybody is beautiful in their own physical way, but he is very unconventionally attractive. I don't think it would have worked with a very like, like a Chris Pine, like, and, and I'd say Joseph Levitt is, is a Chris Pine, but Joseph, I, I mean, if we had a scale things, right, Joseph Gordon-Levitt definitely leans more towards handsome leading man than Tom Sturridge does. Yes. He's a handsome man, but I just think it would have been too, like, you know, the, the Morpheus is supposed to be a, like an immortal shapeshifter that is also like, Tall, lanky, sad boy. Of like switching genders and he's androgynous and he's not, I don't think he would, it would have worked with a very conventionally attractive gentleman. That's fair. I think they did a lot of really good casting. I mean, if, if we're going to, if we're going to move through, like, um, I mean, John Cameron Mitchell. Well, no, I was going to say, I was going to say my actual next thing was, were there any other standouts of the recurring cast? So a cast member that has been in more than one episode. That's what I'm going to say. Any other standouts there? Like, example, the Corinthian. Oh, dude, that guy is what most people don't know. You know, he was the star of The Predator, right? So, Boyd Holbrook. So, that's why I'm just like, I know this dude. And it's just like, uh, you know what people know him more, though? He's the bad guy in Logan. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to look that up, though. He is the main dude from Predator, um, which, which should have been like, I am a star now. Like, like Predator should have been the Predator, not Prey, which I heard is fucking phenomenal. And I can't wait to watch it. But the Predator on paper should have been the coolest fucking shit ever. It's a Shane Black Predator movie. You love it. It was Black. And Shane Black was in Predator. Like, who knows Predator more than Shane Black? But apparently there was some like um it's not good. There was apparently some studio meddling. I think there is a Shane Black cut of that movie that we've never seen. Oh, well, I'm not going to start a campaign for it, but um, but you should. No, and that's what this podcast is Ooh, lazy. But uh, I'm going to go with release, release, release the Shane Black cut. Release, release uh, the black cut. Uh, <sighs> I'm going to go with Alicia's uh, point about Tom Sturridge for the Corinthian. I if I think if you would have got someone famous to be the Corinthian, an actor we knew. Like it wouldn't have worked. It, it did work. We know. No, 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 I'm saying, I just we, explained we, this. No, 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 no. I'm saying if it's the same thing. If we knew him, if he was a famous guy, like if he was Chris, if he was Pye, a Hemsworth. Yeah, oh if, yeah. If he was Chris Hemsworth, okay. <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. Like yeah, if, but that's if he I think that's a marquee yeah. name. It wouldn't have worked. But the fact we sort of know Boyd Holbrook and he was allowed to just make it his own thing. I think this is the star making role for Boyd Holbrook because he is as much as I like Tom Sturgeon is Boyd Holbrook is an amazing villain in this whole so thing. good. He's I think he steals most of the show because he's oh, yeah. so 
just like charming. He's just charming yeah. and charismatic and just like, you know, he's deadly, but like he just plays it so well. He I don't know. He's got he's got that kind of swagger wow. and charisma for wow. sure. Um I was gonna say anyone else, any any other of the recurring cast that you wanna um kind of flag before we get into maybe some of the supporting. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, but Ed, go first. No, I, I was just gonna say like how how natural some of these roles are. I mean the 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 character the the actor that the actor that played um dis- desire like as Cowboy Bebop. I which I didn't actually watch, but <laughs> But I mean, it, it, it's like, it seemed like a very natural role for them. And of course, going back to this whole John Cameron Mitchell thing, John Cameron Mitchell plays John Cameron Mitchell. Like uh, that, that is, his, he like basically runs through his entire, his life story as it goes, adding on some, like some pieces, but like the, just the, the idea that there are, there are real people that fit these roles goes back to our original point of like, well, why now? Like, is this a good time? And and I think the idea of Sandman being ahead of its time in the eighties, it's fair. Uh, but we're, we're seeing it kind of come to fruition in the sense that we can openly talk about a lot of these subjects yeah. in terms of gender identity and, and um, like your, your place in the world and, and all that stuff now um, in a more open kind of TV popular culture format. I'm, I'm going to go with uh I'm going to go with uh, Jenna Louise Coleman as uh, Constantine because one, I always thought that she would like her character on, on Dr. Who was so odd and it was had such a bad arc, but she's so good. It's just like, Oh, if you just had been a little bit better, she like give her the, and they've already talked about giving Joanna Constantine her own series. And the old game is like, yes, that's fucking good yeah because she was because we're used to we've seen two versions of constantine one of them i mean is the patron saint of pop break keanu reeves obviously uh but he's it, it she's the best constantine I've ever seen she's such a fucking badass and her her episode is so it shows that off and it's so I think it's one of my, it's another one of my favorites. It's a very self-contained episode, but it's heartbreaking. It's horrifying. It has great performances. It gives us Patton Oswalt as a fucking Raven. It's just like, there's so much happening here. And she is just the perfect um, foil to uh, Morpheus. And it's just such a charming, she's so charming too, but she's also very lethal. And it's also very funny at times. And then we get to see her come back in my favorite episode. So I just, I was like, that's, I, she gets my vote there for sure. Oh, that's my favorite by the way as well. Just throwing that out there. Um, all right. So let's talk about, oh, uh, did you have anyone else? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Wait, sorry, Go. real quick. I mean, everyone's fantastic in this show. Um, but I just want to give a special shout out to Jolie Richardson, who played um, Ethel Cripps because I did not expect this. I was like, holy shit, is that the wife from um, A Color Out of Space? Which, mind you, was the last movie I saw before the pandemic shut everything down. I saw it at the showroom in Asbury Park, which is a great little indie theater. If anybody is uh, listening right now, it's going to be New Jersey. 
go there. It's great. It's like sitting in somebody's living room. It's the weirdest experience. But yeah, that is the last movie I saw before the pandemic. And I love that she literally had the same job in that movie as she does in modern times in Sandman. She is some kind of mystery financial finance broker. She's great. All the stuff with David Thewlis she does in the 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 prison is great. And she just she just got that role. She's so excellent in this. I actually wish we had a little more time with her, to be honest. Oh, yeah. She was so good. Yeah, that's true. I actually remember her from Nip Tuck. And I, I was just looking it up. Yes. Like that that is the wife from Nip Tuck. And that is also oh. a wildly fucked up show. Right. So fucked up. And the second time I've talked about that show in as many days. And I was just, I thought someone was gonna say, oh yeah, she was the uh, she was the lead in 101 Dalmatians. Just throwing that one out there. Because you two were children when I and I became friends. So I figured you guys would bring up a childhood. Let's talk about the supporting cast. Let's talk about people who've only appeared in one episode. I know we all want to talk about this episode. Uh, we kind of freely uh, talked about it before, but um death. Yeah. Um the uh-huh. maybe the best casting of the entire series. Um Absolutely incredible episode. Again, had one of the saddest, saddest scenes of anything I've seen in a long time. Um, guys, thoughts on death? Thoughts on that episode? And uh, can we get a death spinoff? Can we get a? Uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, Dead to me? No, uh, Alicia. <laughs> what was what was the death solo series that Gaiman did? Uh, oh my god. Wait, I'm looking this up right, right now. No, no, I didn't no. know it existed. Yes, there is. She, yeah. No? Yes. Oh, so there yeah. is a death uh, solo series. I think it's just called death. I think it's just actually just called death. Neil, it's like Neil Gaiman's death. Hold on. Hold on. The, or it might be the like high cost of living. Something like yeah. That. Yes. Death, that high is, cost of living. Yes. yes. Thank you. Uh, it was the first solo miniseries featuring death of the endless. I just remember that game. It was a three issue series. Okay. So, yeah. Anywho, no. um, yeah. What'd you guys uh, uh, thoughts on that? I'm going to start with Alicia. She, she's just, she's so hot. <laughs> I just got to say it. This is the most bisexual show ever. I'm loving it. It checks off all my boxes. Um, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also, weirdly enough, also in Killing Eve, we were talking about that before this episode started, she plays the uh, assistant in the first season and never comes back, which I was very disappointed about because oh, I think yeah. she's really funny. Uh, yeah, no, I love that episode. And I, um, I, once again, talking about this before the episode started, ran a 105 degree fever while I was watching it this weekend. Hi. I don't know. It wasn't COVID. Don't know. Um, and I was like in tears, the part where she picks up the baby. Oh, That's just, the part where I, I felt say. terrible because this whole episode, I'm like, oh, she's so pretty. She's so yeah. hot. Like she can kill me or do whatever she does. And then she gets to the baby and I'm like, oh. I had a ter- I had a That's uh, Ker- Kirby Howell Baptiste, who uh, yes. people may know from um, her great turn in The Good Place. Right. Amongst other things. She was great. In the good place. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I do want to talk more about death. And, and Kirby, but can we just talk about real quick the this four episodes, like this run, right? It is Dream a Little Dream of Me, oh. A Hope in Hell, 
24-7 and the sound of her wings are literally all together. That's a good block, man. That's pretty sick in terms of like consistency. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about uh, what's it called? Uh, Morningstar yet. Um, right. no. We haven't talked about Lucifer. So <laughs> like, come on. It's, this show is fucking crazy. It's bananas. But yeah, let's, let's talk a little more about death. I just had to acknowledge that run. Uh, Bill, thoughts? So I like I like the fact this episode is basically um, it's a wonderful life for death, where it's just like, hey, we're gonna teach you it's okay to feel, and it's okay that you had that you that you could feel these things. It's not like you know you've had a good life, but it's just like it's just like taking him out of his depression, taking him out of everything he's been in. He, he's been a prisoner for a hundred years, then quickly had to like, he would, when he broke free, he's like, I have to find all my stuff. And now he's like, how do I be what I used to be again? How do I? And then it's just like, we're now setting him off on this new journey, which will play into the second half of the series of him just being able to smile and accept people and have a friend and have emotion. And so she's showing him, the beauty except from when the baby dies oh, god damn it i had to fa- i actually fast forward i saw that coming i'm like nope not watching that <laughs> uh, i'm taking care of myself um and it's just like the beauty that was in her role in and death and how she's a servant of humanity which he actually quotes and says again to desire later on he's like we're servants of humanity so i love that part and then the second half with uh, hold on, I gotta get his name because I'm gonna call him Gandalf, and that's not his real name. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hob Gadling, like yeah. this whole that's, thing about. I think Gandalf sounds. <laughs> it's a much more believable. Name. <laughs> yeah, but you know, with with Hob, he meets him, and and it, like we go through this thing, and he's. Sh- it's basically you think the story, and he even says it. You think the story is about me. The story is actually about you, Death, and it's about how you need a friend. And how it's just, and then that plays into everything with Lucien later, who's also awesome in the show. We didn't, I mean, there's so many good performances. It's a great cast. And so all this, all this, like what seems like this rando filler episode, which um, is, um, I don't have a sneeze button on my podcast, um, is, you know, which is just like, this is a weird episode to have. It's really plays into everything we need for the second half of the series and i that's why i love this episode much and i i don't know i could have used a little more of the death character but i don't know where you put her in well I, yeah i think i think that it was perfectly placed just to kind of give us a taste of death and and it's like it's kind of like that in the comic i mean alicia you can back me up because you probably have a better recollection of the the graphic novel but like it it's pretty straight up yeah. from the graphic novel, like narratively and, and the way that it flows, like it's, it's pretty exact. And, and I think that's, that's part of what makes it good is that it didn't have to deviate. It didn't have to change things up and, and make the character better. It was, it was written so well in the first place. If you go to the official Twitter account, I think either of Netflix or Sandman, you can actually see that they edited a, a video where you can see the panels yeah, and how closely they match that scene uh, yeah. of of them feeding the birds or the ducks, or whatever. Um, yeah. It's it's like almost shot for shot. It's pretty sick. So yeah, uh, yeah they really did, and I think they used her perfectly. I, I was I was so 
happy that she had just like pop up at the end and help him or some shit. Like, I think it was perfect the way that they did it. And I love how they've kind of shown throughout like that. The endless are dealing with their own shit. They all have things to do. And I think it's going to just get better and better as you know, the seasons go through that we're going to learn more about these characters um, and see more interactions between the, uh, between each of the endless. So very interested. I do have a question for you guys. No. They do mention the prodigal. Do we know? Was this ever solved in the show? And I'm just a big old weirdo and I don't remember? Or is it just like, this is like, hey, hey, hey. If and when we get renewed, this is something we're going to talk about. I will say this show, like the first season of this show, it hopefully does get renewed for a second season. Hopefully. It is surprisingly good at masking exposition because when you really think about it, up until the last four episodes, starting with the doll's house, those those previous episodes, it's all just one giant info dump to it's build up this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and because the show is like anthology like, like yeah, I don't think it would be unrealistic to see like a Sandman Netflix universe start cropping up. That'd be incredible. It's what they need too. Yeah, like that's what like Netflix wants to have their own. Harry Potter. They want to have their own, like, sh- yeah. you know, franchise that people have to have this platform for. And, you know, they would... this could be it. Could but no, well. they don't, they don't answer who the prodigal is. Okay. <laughs> I was just like, Wait a second. Is this just a euphemism for, for dream? And I missed that. It was like, I am the prodigal. Ah, shit. I missed that line. Sorry. But it's just like, yeah, I, it's uh, this is also a great palate cleanser episode, despite it being very sad at times, because think about the episode before where everyone was fucking and then killing each other in the most horrible way possible. And the world was on fire. So, yeah, I think we needed a really I think that's why a lot of people love this episode, because it's a real great reset with like a positive ending. Yeah. It's it's also a turning point in the series where the last four episodes are like almost like one long episode. Yeah. It's really just building up to this kind of ending. Whereas those first five felt, you know, they were like, it's always like a very specifically world building anthologies kind of Alicia was going for. It was like exposition dump, but it was kind of just to set up, you know, everything you need to know to get into this final stretch, which is an interesting way to play it. Yeah, um, I feel like it does have a very comic book pace to it, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm trying to imagine it as like trade paperbacks. I'm like, oh, I have to grab the next trade paperback. Otherwise, I'm not going to know what's going to happen next. And, you know, it's it, it's interesting that we started this conversation with like this, this 10, 10 episode arc because we yeah, we, we kind of forget that there are other ways to approach it. Like, you know, there, it doesn't have to be as linear or as, as broad an arc as, as we're used to. He really does break it up in ways that are unconventional, but also feel natural in this particular universe. And is this the first two volumes that's being adapted into the first season or no? Is, is it, it's preluded knockatures or whatever. And then it's the dolls, the dolls house is number no i think the doll's house rose walker i is definitely not in the first volume she comes later yeah 
but the, also the thing, everything with hell, that's like its own arc too. So I want to say like they combine like the first two and a half volumes. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe yep. a little bit of the newer stuff. Cause I, it's been a long time and my collection's very disjointed, but I think Rose Walker is more of a newer character yeah. in the, in the series. Gotcha. Okay. So, all right. That's helpful because um, as someone who needs to go back and re read or read the whole series, I kind of want to know when I'm going to hit these things. I remember hitting death and uh, that whole episode and, and the diner pretty early on in the show or the, the, the books. So very interesting. I also want to say I'm happy that the David storyline was not the final storyline. That wasn't it, that, that we didn't swap it. I'm glad that that was not the final episodes we ended on. Like, I'm glad 24-7 wasn't episode 10. Like, I'm glad it was a doll's house first, you know, and then it was that. You know, if they had, you know, the tone and tenor of it. I think it was much better that it was done this way. I think it gave you a much more like, yes, I want more. Instead of like, God, that was so fucking dark. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they, just the pacing overall of the show felt good. Because it's it had like... Again, this Whovian element to it where the way that it one episode can feel very lighthearted and happy, and the next episode can have horror. And it just kind of just kept not going every other, but it just like there was a good kind of mix where you never really knew what you were expecting with the next episode. But I think like the episode when they're at the quote unquote serial convention. Fucking hilarious, by the way. It's like, it's just like they have the guy singing and even like everything about that was so dark, but they so dark. everything is a joke. Yeah. And just, I mean, because the idea of a serial killer convention called the serial convention spelled right. out as the breakfast food is amazing. And like, so, so nailed meal came in. It's insane. And then you it's have really to insane. see it through, um, Fiddler's Green, you know, played by, um, Stephen Fry, you have to see it through his reactions, essentially dressed like Sherlock Holmes, right. and his just facial reactions to everything. I love that he's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Fuck this kid that I'm trying to protect. <laughs> he's like, nah, I got, I got to get back out of this world, yeah. out of this plane of yeah. existence. Um, he's like, if you want to vaporize me, that's fucking great, because I just saw bunch of some shit that i did not want to be a part of um i'm trying to think what else outside of just like reviewing or rating the series overall because is there anything else you guys want to talk about from the series there's so much i feel like we didn't even get to um morningstar let's i guess maybe let's go there before we get into our final thoughts but what did you guys think of hell bill oh i mean listen that was that's some great that's some great work right there, man. Like it's, we've seen a lot of bad versions of hell, like just the way it's produced. And I'm not talking from like, Oh, it's scary. It's just like, no, it looks like shit. And this looked, it was so impeccable. And there's, I don't think better casting uh, than, than they, with who they got because. Gwendolyn, is it Gwendolyn Christie? Gwendolyn Christie, because she's so calm. It's yeah. so serene. And she's not like, 
Al Pacino <laughs> chewing, you know, you know, uh, the, the scenery, just like, oh, I'm the devil. Ah! And you're just like, okay, cool, man. And uh, and I always, I just pulled Al Pacino's name out of a hat. I forgot he was in The Devil's Advocate. Spoilers, he's the devil. Uh, but it's, you couldn't figure that out from the poster. Uh, but <laughs> she's so calm and regal. And it's just perfect. And yeah, it's the opposite battle, of what do you expect? And then that whole scene, the battle is just. Uh, but they have, but I mean, oh, also, I'm just gonna say it's the line. I'm a dire wolf. I'm like, fuck you guys. You know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you do exactly what you were doing. Well, um, Ed, hell, <laughs> hell. I mean, you know, I, I think. I think it was really interesting the way that like I feel I feel like they needed to bring us through Gaiman's version of hell, which is a kind of collapse of Dante's hell and and um Milton's hell. Like uh Bill Pat and I were talking about this the other day, how you know why is it that everything that we understand about hell is not necessarily in the Bible, but derived from either Milton or Dante. Like that's, that's where we get all of our, our, our hell. And so that's a like, you and Pat conversation for sure. Well, you know, uh, but, but he was, he was calling on his, uh, his early days as a Catholic school student. Um, but I, I, and then, you know, and seeing it kind of peak with the introduction of, of Lucifer Morningstar again, completely Miltonian in that sense, but like, um, you know, having Gwendolyn Christie represented, it's, it kind of called me back to the first, the first Constantine series where, you know, the Archangel Michael is played by Bill, help me out. Tilda Swinton. Thank you. And, and, and just kind of at that at that time, it was a little odd to see, but at this point, you know, seeing Gwendolyn Christie play play the devil in you know the in all of her you know however tall she is the the glory that is she um, was really interesting. She did play it very well, and and the fact that we don't get it again until the end of the the show, like and and as a potential preview of next season or whatever that's that is. Uh, I think they they played it really well. Like they gave us just enough to kind of tickle our fancy, and then oh. left it. And I and that that like narratively and and writing wise was probably the best thing about the whole thing. I mean, everything played really well. The the characters played really well. The the battle was was really well done. And it, and it didn't go nuts like you know with with everything that we've seen with the 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 mcus and everything like that it could have it could have been nuts and it wasn't it was just the right amount of interaction that we needed to to kind of be on on morpheus's side and of course you know pat oswald as matthew the the ravens matthew the raven as cheerleader playing the poly to his rocky yeah right, <laughs> but Alicia, I would well, like to know. Was well, your, I was going to say, her, was your fancy tickled by Helen? I, my? Fa- I first off, tick, like, tickle my fancy great. is like my favorite. It's, it's you can't not laugh at tickle it's my such fancy. Such a gem. That's a. I'd love you for that. Ed. This whole it's, whole series tickled my fancy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's on record now. 
<laughs> oh, well, that's going in the episode description a hundred times at least. Um, okay, I just before I give my two cents, I was midway to watching the show. It, my my girlfriend's currently in Iceland, so I've been telling her like, "Oh, you got to watch this." You and she never watches anything I recommend. Hard. I know how that feels. Yeah, but I told her, technically speaking, this is the same devil. This is the same Lucifer that's in the CW Lucifer. It is from CW Lucifer is based on the Lucifer Vertigo comics or it's yeah. supposed to be. So yeah. And that's, that's, I, I believe that is what's going to convince her and she's going to watch the show. And it's going to be nothing like the CW Lucifer. <laughs> Jesus. Um, um, I, I will say her official height is nine foot nine, I believe. Oh, Gwen Ellen Christie? I, <laughs> I'm joking. That's, it's, not, that's, not a, oh. not, it's not a real hate. I was going to say that tickles my fancy. <laughs> oh, I bet you it does. <laughs> no, she is. I uh, can't. Because one thing, as soon as I saw her, the first thing my mind goes to is Tormund. He's just like the tall woman. Oh <laughs> just like, oh, you can't think that during the seed bill. It's too funny. But um, <laughs> well, I, I think she's in platforms. I think I saw a set photo on Twitter where, I mean, she's already a very tall woman, but wow. I, I think she's in, they put her in like platform boots. Like she's in costume on set, I think somewhere. And she's like wearing big fucking boots. So they made her even taller. I, I'm actually going to, by the way, her first, when you type in Gwendolyn Christie on, on Google, it's height. <laughs> she's six foot three. Amazing. Nice. Yeah, that's this is, insane. I just want to say this has been the last this year, the last what are we, 22? I don't even know, 21, 20, last three years. Just this has been the era of the, the tall buff woman in media. There's been a lot of tall buff women, tall and/or buff women in media, and I love that. Yeah. Love that. More, yeah. more of that, please. Um <laughs> Two, like a month ago, we got uh we got uh, Jane Foster's Thor. Yep. Buff. Yep, buff. Just so buff. Um, There's like a screaming goats too, but (laughs) so good. Podcast for another day. Actually, there we did that already. (laughs) We did that already. Um, But I love that she's kind of like, it's like kind of like at the end, it's just like, hey, this is our Thanos. Sign up for it. This is the big bad for next season. I'm like, fuck yeah. And there's all these like, there are all these minions cheering her just screaming hell and it was like that is the weirdest way to end a show but i don't want it to end any other way so metal um all right guys we're getting there are we we're getting there i think i think we're good i think we're solid um i feel like i would have put a coffee under you right and give it to you right no i want to put a pillow under me um yeah you know let's just go around the table the virtual table and give ourselves uh you know a rating what we think this season well al uh, we can't do a rating without you coming up with some sort of ridiculous metric oh my god Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. oh 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 it's um okay we're gonna rate this episode corinthian eyeballs Fuck. Oh, I'm oh, so sorry. I, oh, I damn it. That was it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we always try to end up like one time we had severed arms. Uh, we definitely had screaming goats. We've had a lot of, we had with sassy Uncle Owens one time. So, you know, like I, Corinthian eyeballs is a very good one. Uh, you know what, Ed, since this is the first time you're on the podcast, 
We're going to go with you first, my friend, on a scale of one to 10 Corinthian eyeballs. Now, these are sets of eyeballs, I should say. We're not just yeah, sets of eyeballs. So because that's the size of eyeballs. eyes. Um, <laughs> what is your rating, your final thoughts and rating on the series itself? Um, I would I would give it a nine and a half. There's always room for improvement in my book. Like a few eyelashes or like that's a couple set of those baby teeth. That's eyes. how I like to do it. But I, I and and also I'd like to see more seasons. Like I, I'm not going to give it a 10 now. It like come at me with some more, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> You're challenging Neil game into a fight right now. Please do it because then he'll make more. He'll make more episodes. <laughs> uh, Alicia, your your final thoughts. Your rating uh, from one to ten severed Corinthian eyeballs. Um, I'm sets, sets of eyeballs. Sets of eyeballs. Okay, so that so we're talking like if I give it a nine, it's like eighteen. Yeah, right. That's, that's how math works. works. It's, a lot. it's like eighteen individual uh, 18, eyeballs. Eighteen individual eyeballs. So I give it nine pairs. Or yes, nine pairs of nine point five pairs. Oh, wow! Of wow! Eyeballs. You I, I think I'm a little hyped. You know, I'm fresh off of it, but yeah, I, I think the way they they approached it narratively is very clever. It sets the show up for for success in the sense of like, hey, if this show doesn't go well, okay, cool, we got a House of Mystery series, or cool, we have a Lucifer series again. Um, that isn't the CW one, but um, <laughs> but also it's it brilliantly distracted me from the fact that the like 75% of this series was just exposition and it handled it so well. Excellent. 9.5. 9.5. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it down a slight peg and I'm going to say nine severed eyeballs for me. Uh, Only reason is I thought this was great. I thought it was a great adaptation. I think um, Netflix I think with their production or whoever they use like VFX wise is starting to develop its own specific style. And I don't know if I'm a fan of it at this point, because now they're as Ed kind of alluded to already, like umbrella Academy, another show that uh, Alicia and I absolutely adore. It is very similar. It's starting to feel like they're repeating themselves a lot in that aspect. And then the other reason I'm not going to give it a full 10 is the first six episodes are much stronger i think narratively and just like things that i may go revisit um versus the the second half which feels very like race to the finish line kind of we need to end this story that we've kind of been setting up so um that's the only reason i'm gonna give it a nine but otherwise the story that they're setting up very enjoyable very great um i think just structurally it, it was kind of a, a mind fuck for me. Uh, but yeah, nine out of 10. I absolutely loved it. Give me some more game in adaptations. Give me some more Sandman. I can't wait for good omens. Ah, so excited. Um, Bill. Um, I'm the inverse of you. I actually like the end more than I like the beginning. Uh, but I'm also going to go with a nine as well. Um, you know, maybe I will go, you know, I'm going to go 9.5. I'm going to go 9.5. You know why? Because the incessant references to New Brunswick, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. But an extra half an eyeball for me as yeah. Alicia and I are, you know, we've spent plenty of nights and days at New Brunswick in our college days. Um, but for me, uh, I was someone who didn't have any attachment to the source material. And um, 
there's been a lot of Netflix shows that have been out there that I, you know, obviously if I did a podcast on them, I might like them more, but I think they took such an expansive source material and they made it into a very digestible um, viewing experience for someone who had no idea, but they didn't make it like, they didn't make it baby food. They didn't be like, okay, we're going to dumb it down for you. But they got weird and they stayed weird. And like Alicia said, let's get more weird because like we've now opened this whole box we, we've got talking little marshmallows from hell, it like ripped into a scene there who are like, we are the generals, let's go to war. And she's like, <laughs> let me twirl my fake mustache. Let's, yes, let's go to war. And I'm just like, all right, great, good. When does this season start? Now you're sideways and you fucked me up. Um, so it's like, um, it's, it's just everything about this show was so enjoyable. Um, I just wish I had a little more. And I don't know if I needed more time with it or not, but I felt like there was some sidetrack sidetracking that maybe we could have done without, but, uh, and I think some of them leaned into, I think some of the earlier episodes leaned into stuff with American gods that I wasn't a huge fan of, or is it a little too excessive for the sake of being excessive at points. Uh, but overall, the show is just like, yes, we're season two. Where's the universe. I'm really hope it would be really disappointing if Netflix was like, nah, we're not going to go on with this. I mean, it's great that we have this one season. If they just stopped here, you have a great 10-episode series, but it would be a bit disappointing if this was the last time we saw all these characters, especially since there's so much potential. We just touched upon certain characters like like Desire, like Constantine, um, like uh, Mark Hamill as the talking jack-o'-lantern. Um, like it's, yeah, and so it's yeah. just like, give me more. We could do more here. And I'm that's what I'm looking forward to. So it's a nine, and I think this is the highest... I said maybe Stranger Things. I think this is our one of our highest rated finales or seasons we've ever talked about. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, I think it was just so well adapted, and you could see that Gaiman was there for every step of the way, um, which is super helpful when you're adapting uh, a very specific and uh, beloved work. So that's it, guys. That's it on Sandman. But uh, before we actually wrap up. Um, would love to get a pop culture recommendation for you. This could be a movie, TV show, song, comic book, something that you want to recommend to our audience, as well as uh, plug yourself. Where can people find you on social media? So uh, I'll go real quick. Just give you guys an example. You've had a busy, you've been a busy boy. Yeah, I've been super, super busy. Crazy. Um, my pop culture recommendation. Ooh, this one's tough. Have I actually absorbed any pop culture this this week? <laughs> Ooh, this is a tough one for me. Well, I'll start with my plugs then. I am uh you can follow me at Al Manorino on Instagram and Twitter. I just took some photos of Rage Against the Machine and Run the Jewels for NJ.com. Hey. You can see my coverage of Jack Johnson at the uh, uh Freedom Mortgage Pavilion, I think is the name of it now in Camden, New Jersey. You can see that on the hopread.com. Um let's see. The pop culture recommendation for you is man i really don't have one this is weird um get back to me get back to me uh, i'll come I'm, I'm trying to remember what else i watched besides same man this week it's a, he watched bluey season three that's his recommendation i'll, I'll say bluey season three. Oh, yeah bluey season three uh we've talked about the show a million times over the course of over 100 episodes it is the best kids show kids program on television season three has just dropped on the Disney Plus, 
It is modern parenting told in animated quick bite form. It's very like very short episodes, like seven minutes, I think. Um, Incredible. Just one of the best shows on the television ever made. Season three. Show about dogs for little kids. In Australia. In Australia. Bill. Uh, well, my pop culture recommendation, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it in house. Uh, I'm going to go with the new single from former guests on the podcast and a two former writers from the popbreak.com. That's Brendan and Joe, uh, known as modern chemistry. They have a new single out called in a way it's a little bit of a departure from what they've usually done. They've been very uh, synth based recently. And I think they uh, kind of have a little more, more of a mature sound here. Uh, it's on Spotify. You definitely should check them out. Also, uh, I just want to plug a show for them coming up in a few weeks. It's going to be uh, August 21st from 12 to 2. They're doing a launch party on the the at the showroom cinema, uh, which... Uh, Alicia just mentioned uh, there you have a short film for uh, their new record and a slight, they're going to be doing a performance as well. Um, So yeah, go check them out at at modern chemistry on all platforms. Uh, They're awesome. I love those guys interviewed them on this podcast a few weeks, a few months ago. Great dudes go support them. Um, As for my stuff that I have to plug, if you must follow me on Twitter, I am at Bodkin writes where it's a lot of wrestling references. You probably won't get. And uh, stuff for about the from the popbreak.com. We're celebrating 13 years at the end of September, which just makes me cry at how much money I have never not recouped from doing this site, but how much joy I have had by uh, being a part of podcasts like this, and making great friends along the way. Yes, Al, that includes you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> where we're taught we have tons of music coverage coming up, tons of concerts, uh, some of which we just got confirmed today, which are really awesome. And we hope to share those with you real soon. Um, we music movies television pro wrestling anime comic books all our podcasts check out um the breakcast feed where my other podcast bill versus the mcu where i finally finished the mcu uh, comes out once a month uh, alex marcus my co-host and i we just uh went back and talked about all the shows on disney plus from the marvel universe uh so that inc- from 2021 which includes one division low-key falcon winter soldier and hawkeye and uh, i do have a, another podcast coming episode coming out in the next few weeks on for my friend mike haliger's uh mental health podcast called detoxicity where i talk about about my mental health journey for the last 10 years it gets real serious and uh but also has a very uh positive ending uh so go check that out uh on all your favorite podcasting platforms so ed chang old buddy where can people find you uh i'm, no, uh, I'm on facebook <laughs> that's, that's where i'm at you can look me up if you want uh i really don't have much of a presence because i'm i'm not really in the uh nope pop culture media realm um but if and, and i'm i was sitting here trying to think about like what what pop cultural reference i could possibly apply and like the most recent thing i mean i i did enjoy season three of the umbrella academy i think i think that was they finally got it in the third season um and, but my wife and i are just watching uh the show on netflix called foda which is a is a, it's about the israeli palestine conflict but also with a lot of like NYPD blue commish vibes, which I, I really enjoy. <laughs> it's like NCIS meets NYPD blue meets the commish. <laughs> in, I, you know what, one, of my, one of my nightmares about the Sam, Sam would have been in the nineties. They would have casted David Caruso as a Corinthian. 
Yeah, well, there you go. It I, would I have been fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Alicia, take us home. Uh, you guys can find me uh, at Alicia Weinberg. I dropped the ER on Twitter. I mostly retweet a lot of cool fan art, and it's a very weird and horny Twitter algorithm. So enjoy that, folks. Um, we but do. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I didn't design the algorithm. I'm right. not judging you. Enjoy it. <laughs> Um, but uh, if I have to plug uh, some uh, pop culture recommendation, as I mentioned earlier, if anyone has Crunchyroll, watch Paranoia Agent. It's decades old now, but it's a fantastic series by a director that got taken from us way too too young in his career. Um, but for more modern recommendations, go see Nope. If you haven't seen Nope see yet, that. go fucking see that. It's amazing. It's great. And uh, yeah, go see that, um, you dorks. Go watch it. Cinema is dying. Go go back to it. Save it. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for the 120th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. We're going to try and save cinema, but we're not going to talk about a movie next week. No, we're going to court next week because we're talking about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law.